WP Talk, the Wealth Professional Podcast. Mackenzie's sustainable fixed income, powered by forward-thinking experts and an innovative ESG model, can help you diversify portfolios and make a real impact. Visit mackenzieinvestments.com forward slash innovation to learn more. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with investment funds. Please read the prospectus before investing. Investment funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of WP Talk. I'm your host, James Burton, Managing Editor of Wealth Professional Canada. For this episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Corrado Russo, Managing Partner and Head of Global Securities at Hazelview Investments. Now, given his expertise in real estate investing, we dive first into Corrado's grounding at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, then move on to what rising rates mean for investors, and then why he, unsurprisingly perhaps, believes the 60-40 model is dead. We start by talking about how Corrado earned his investing spurs. Sure. So I I started my career in the mid-90s at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan Board. I was uh, in the acquisitions department of the real estate division there, effectively buying, you know, buildings, apartment buildings, office buildings, retail, sort of you name it, uh, across North America, both Canada and the U.S. was sort of my... uh, my target markets um, spent, um, you know, about, about six years there, and then um, from there uh, moved on to uh, the sell side part of the business. Uh, went into the public real estate domain, covering REITs at uh, you know Nesbitt Burns, which is now Emo Capital Markets, um, and then from there actually went into general equities. Obviously. Being a specialist, if you want to get on the buy side in Canadian REITs only, uh, it's pretty specialized, at least it was back then. So I went into the general equity space working at Investors Group, um, where I covered all different types of sectors, eventually became a portfolio manager. Uh, And then in the uh, early 2000 or 2004, 2005, moved to the U.S. to work for Citigroup and help build out their global REIT uh, securities business there. So, you know, had the private side of the business from teachers on the direct real estate side, had the equity uh, portfolio management skill set from investors group and the general equity side, and then put those two skill set together at City to build a global REIT business. Uh, we built that into a multi-billion dollar business and obviously financial crisis happened. Uh, and that's when I really started looking at Hazelview and, and what we could do with the business here. To give you a bit of history on the relationship with Hazelview, uh, Ugo Bazzari, who's a founder of Hazelview, uh, worked together with me at Ontario Teachers. So we both started our careers there doing private real estate together. And then obviously he moved on to stay and and start up uh, a a private company, a private um, real estate company, which is today known as Hazelview. uh, And I went into the public space. And so we had kept in touch for... A number of years, I sat on the board and watched him grow Hazelview and the and the private re- real estate business there. And then uh, when the financial crisis hit, felt that it was it was time to come. Uh, you know, we call it kind of come home um, to, to Hazelview. And 
Hazel View had built out a private real estate business as well as a private debt business, but it was sort of missing the last leg of the stool, which is the public real estate business. And so uh, I joined in 2011 to build up that part of the business, do what I did at Citigroup, brought in a lot of uh, the global team members that I uh, enjoyed working with at Citigroup, uh, and we built offices in New York, Germany, and Hong Kong, in addition to the Toronto office here, which is obviously headquarters, um, and have built out that that global REIT business. The real estate securities business uh, started with about $60 million in 2011. Today, that $60 million has turned into about $3.5 billion of AUM, and when we put that together with the private side of the business, the overall firm today manages about $11 billion in capital. Just backpedaling slightly there, Corrado, you know, you both started at um, Ontario Teachers. You know, just briefly, what what did you, what sort of foundation did that give you and what did you learn? Because obviously that's, that's, uh, that's an institution a lot of people will be familiar with. Yeah, great question. I mean, it was an incredible institution for young young people to take on a lot of responsibility up front. Effectively, when we started, uh, Ontario Teachers changed their allocation to real estate from about 3% to 10%. Um, and the fund, the overall fund was about 80 billion going to 100 billion. So we were, you know, effectively handed a blank check with, you know, multiple billions of dollars to put to work um, in as, you know, as, as quick a possible time, you know, as you can without, you know, with obviously doing good investments. Uh, and that meant that, uh, you know, both Google and I, who were both in the acquisitions side of the business, just looked at so many different deals. Um, and we were able to, you know, dissect and underwrite and learn different markets. Um, you know, we had no real handcuffs in terms of what type of real estate or what markets we could invest in. So it really allowed us to, um, you know, learn different markets and the foundation of risk preservation and capital preservation, which is sort of core to teachers, um, really was ingrained in us. And I'd say the last thing we learned, which is really prevalent or, or, or relevant to what we do here at Hazelview, was the concept that there are different ways to access real estate. Ultimately, real estate isn't just about bricks and mortar. It's about the underlying contractual rent obligation that tenants have to the landlord. And it's that contractual rent that creates the stable recurring income stream that gives real estate the positive contribution, the positive attributes that it has as an investment relative to equities and fixed income. And so if you look at real estate with that sort of lens on the underlying contractual cash flow, then you start to look at it a little differently and say, well, I'll buy the bricks and mortar if that's the cheapest way to get at that quality cash flow stream. But if it's cheaper to buy it in the public market because they're trading at discounts to NAV, why don't I do that? And if I can get an attractive rate of coupon on a, on a higher loan to value mortgage, then I can buy the equity and it's a relatively attractive risk-adjusted return, then why don't I lend to real estate as well? So that really gave us the notion that there's really four ways to invest and access the underlying cash flow stream of real estate offers. Private, or private equity, which is buying the building outright and managing it on behalf of our clients. There's lending capital to other owners and operators of real estate. And so you're, you're, you're getting a mortgage payment that's collateralized against that recurring cash flow stream. 
There's buying publicly traded companies that own private real estate and effectively the underlying real estate and cash flow stream is the same, but sometimes there are discounts, sometimes there are premiums. And then lastly, obviously the public debt, which is buying either publicly traded mortgages or public companies that are in the business of lending capital to real estate owners. So really broaden our thought process in terms of, you know, looking for the best risk-adjusted ways to access real estate, depending on where you are in the cycle. Yeah. Okay. That's that's really really interesting. Um, I guess the question on a lot of the lips of our listeners, there'll be advisors, um, will be, you know, how how can they benefit from from what Hazelview offers? So maybe you know, without making it a a huge pitch, <laughs> what uh, what solutions do you offer, and 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 how how can advisors use them? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great question. So at, at Hazelview, um, we you can look at it from sort of three different ways. We have products that predominantly do one hundred percent privates. Um, we have products that do one hundred percent publics, and then we have product a product that uh, integrates the benefits uh, and advantage of both public and private together. So if you really look at it from an investor perspective, it's really what are you using real estate for in your portfolio, right? If you are predominantly looking for something that is not marked to market every day, has good long-term capital growth, um, then you want to be in the private side as long as you are okay not having liquidity. <clears throat> Generally on the private side, our funds, you're, you're locking up for five, seven, or 10 years, depending on the particular strategy. Uh, and you don't really have a ton of liquidity and ability to get out. Um, you're, you're sort of there for the ride, but you're obviously getting a long-term, you know, great capital, capital growth vehicle. And obviously on the public side, it's the inverse. You have lots of liquidity. You can get out anytime you want. You can get out on a daily basis, put money in there on a daily basis. Uh, but obviously you are more susceptible to the mark to market. So you're really looking at that product as, yes, I need liquidity. I want real estate exposure. I will accept some volatility in the short term because short term they move more with the equity markets and the macro, but long term, they're highly, highly correlated to private real estate. Um, and so if you're taking a long term view of 10 years or five to 10 years plus, you're going to get a similar return at the end of the day with lots of liquidity. Uh, as long as you're sort of, uh, you know, okay with this sort of bumps in the road on the way to, to, you know, the end goal that you're trying to get to. And then the last product I would say, which is our four quadrant fund, which is a sort of flagship product here um, for advisors, is um, a product that invests in all four of those quadrants that I spoke about earlier. So what it does is it combines the benefits of private with, you know, good long-term growth, total return, low volatility, but has a component of public up to 30%, about 30, 35% that allows for liquidity. And it's not daily liquidity, but it is quarterly liquidity. So you don't have to lock up for five or seven years. You still have the ability to get out on a quarterly basis. You can buy on a monthly basis. And so, you know, having that both public and private gives you the ability to sort of optimize what both bring to the table and obviously within private you have equity and debt 
and in public you have equity and debt as well. And so the you know each quadrant brings um, something different to the table. Private equity, great long-term returns and stability, but you need the debt component to produce that recurring income stream because on the private equity side, the way we run things here at Hazelview is we're very value add. We're looking to add value, improve the quality of the asset and the product offering in the market. And that sometimes means you know, reinvesting the cash flow from those assets back into the buildings to constantly improve them to get more value at the end of the day. And so the debt part of the portfolio helps us to pay that 5% distribution that we pay in this portfolio every month to make sure it's funded from the underlying investments. So each of those four quadrants brings something powerful. And I think that although separately they are good long-term vehicles, I think the power is really by combining them and having a product that can really sort of optimize all of the advantages and minimize the disadvantages that some of them bring to the table. Yeah, okay, terrific. That's, that's a great overview. Now, obviously, you know, everyone will know, um, stating the, the obvious here, that we're, we've just entered a you know, rising interest rate environment, um, both in Canada and in the States. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different opinions about whether this is good for investors and, and in what sectors, but for real estate, real estate investors like yourselves, is this good? Is this bad? You know, are REITs, are your funds, are they a good place to be right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, and, and you're right, it can be a polarizing one. And I would say, um, I would say it is a good place to be. And I want to I wanna explore that a little further. When it comes to rising rates, um, the general knee-jerk perception is that, oh, this is bad for real estate. It's bad for REITs. And the concept comes from the fact that cost of capital will increase. If the risk-free rate is higher, real estate's going to have to pay more for debt, their mortgages that they have on properties, and to raise equity um, or the value of the equity, uh, the cost of equity will be higher. Therefore, it impacts the what's called the cap rate in our industry. And, you know, why that's relevant is if you look at how you value a piece of real estate, you take your cash flow, which is the numerator, and you divide it by your cap rate. Your cap rate is effectively your your return on equity that investors want minus the expected growth in that cash flow stream. So it's sort of a shortcut to a 10-year DCF. And obviously, as interest rate rise, it means that investors will now demand a higher return on other uh, other risk assets. And therefore, if your denominator is higher, obviously, that reduces the value. But that ignores a couple of different things, right? And this is why I think uh, rising interest rates are not necessarily bad for real estate. And what it ignores is why are interest rates going up? If interest rates are going up, um, generally, because the economy is strong, job growth is strong, wage inflation is strong, general inflation is higher than usual because demand is outstripping supply. If you look at those variables, and those are the variables that's driving interest rates higher today, those are the same variables that drive free cash flow for real estate. As demand goes up, that means occupancy goes up, vacancy becomes you know, low, 
and the scarcity of their product allows them to raise rent. And that rent generally rises faster than the pace of inflation. So when people comment on rates are bad, rising rates are bad for real estate, what they're really focusing on is on that denominator, that cost of equity, but it ignores the fact that the numerator is now higher. So what you generally see is at the inflection point, at the beginning of rate hikes, that perception drives values lower, especially in the public space where obviously you can you know, vote with your feet immediately. But what you also see is when rates actually start rising, real estate actually does quite well because it's the cash flow side, the numerator side of the equation is, is outpacing the, the higher cost of capital in the denominator. You're getting more rent growth. You're getting higher cash flow. And so even though you're, you know, you're, you're applying a different valuation metric, you're applying it to a much higher cash flow, and that helps. And I want to add one more, and hopefully it's not too complicated. But even in the denominator, there you have to dig a little deeper. If you look at, again, what I call the cap rate, um, so that cap rate, which is the denominator, what you're dividing your cash flow stream by, uh, it's your cost of equity, so the return that you want on your equity minus growth. We haven't talked about that, that growth factor, G. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you're happy with a 8% return on your real estate portfolio, and you expect that the growth in cash flow will be 3%. That means that your cap rate is eight minus three, five percent. So you take a ten dollars of cash flow, for example, divided by 0 0.05, which is five percent, you get the value of the real estate. And so the theory is now interest rates go up a hundred basis points. That eight percent return that you want now needs to be nine. Okay, and that makes that makes sense, but if interest rates are going up because economy is strong, inflation is strong, job growth is strong, demand is outpacing supply, that means that my growth expectation may go from three to four or four and a half or five. And so if it goes from three to four, now your 9% return expectation minus a 4% growth, you're back to a 5% cap rate. So it doesn't mean that rates have to go up. So there's a lot of misconception um, theoretically, it, it does make sense for one component of the equation, but it ignores all the other components that are benefiting from the higher inflation, higher economic activity and GDP growth, and higher job growth and wage inflation growth that comes from those typical environments. Okay. I hope I didn't, didn't go too far on that one. No, no, that's great. Fantastic answers. Obviously, a super topical issue. Just want to move on to another um, topic, which has been well trodden, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. And that's, you know, the, the thinking that the 60-40 traditional portfolio model is is done. Um, you know, this is more of a question about sort of portfolio allocation and I mean, the role that real estate play can play that in that in 2022. You know, from your perspective, obviously you're going to come at it from, from your um you know, with your own beliefs and, you know, especially considering what, what you've already said you offer advisors, but how do you, how do you see um, portfolio allocation now and what role can real estate play 
you know, does it, can it replace something or how, how do you see that mix? Yeah, it's, it's the single most important question for investors and advisors today. And, and certainly where we're seeing a lot of focus, um, I would agree with you. The, the, the 60, 40 model is done. It's, uh, you know, those days are behind you and you can't accomplish all the goals that investors are looking for by just focusing on 60-40. And the reason is, if you look at the typical goals that investors are trying to get out of investing their capital for the future, it's generating a good income stream. Depending on where you are in your life cycle, you may mean need more or less in income, but generally you're looking for income. You're looking for a strong total return. That doesn't erode your purchasing power in the future. So you want capital gains that at least keep pace with inflation. And obviously you want to continue to grow your purchasing power. So you want to get something above the pace of inflation. And lastly, you want to control volatility. You don't want a bumpy ride. You want to smooth out that ride as much as possible. And so if you look at those three goals of investing, what you see is the 60-40 model. The reason it's done is equities have become much, much more volatile. The returns have been good, but the volatility has been high. If you look at the number of days um, that the stock market is up or down more than 1% over the last 20 years versus the previous 20 years, you'll see a dramatic increase in those number of days. And so that volatility has obviously been higher in equities. So people are looking for alternatives that are less um, volatile. And if you look at the fixed income side, obviously, given the you know couple decades now of, of dropping rates, the ability to generate income from bonds, corporate bonds or government bonds, obviously, is significantly diluted relative to what you could get 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so it's not accomplishing the income side of the portfolio. And so what we're seeing is investors, and this is why Hazelview has had the growth that they had. Because you, your investors are turning to alternatives. What is an alternative? An alternative is something that provides a differentiated beta, differentiated risk to what you can get from fixed income and equity. So I would look at it less of replacing one of those and more of adding that piece to the pie. So where it was two pieces to the pie in that asset allocation question, equities and debt, it's now three pieces to the pie, equities, debt, and alternatives. Alternatives can be a big bucket, but generally the biggest and most traditional and well-known is real estate. So real estate is becoming a bigger piece of that pie. And we've seen it from the pension funds. They started with a 2% weight, a 3 a 5 a 10 a 15 a 20% weight. Now we're seeing in some of the larger endowment funds and pension funds have as much as 30 or 40% allocation now to alternatives. And the reason is because real estate is a hybrid of fixed income and equity. It has characteristics of both and it can help um, diminish some of the negatives that you get from either fixed income and equity. If you buy real estate, I, you know, think about what I talked about at the beginning. It's all about that contractual rent. Knowing that somebody needs to cut you a check every single month and is contracted to do that gives you an ability to know the predictable income stream that's coming every single month. And that stability is what gives you that bond-like characteristic. Having said that, because um, 
leases come up for renewal, tenants move out, new tenants come in, you add different properties to your portfolio, that income stream, although it's very stable and predictable, it's not fixed. It grows, it changes, it keeps up with the pace of inflation. And so because of that, you typically get a higher income than you do at a fixed income, but you also don't get the same interest rate sensitivity that you do from buying bonds. Rates go up or down, it's a formulaic impact to bonds. That's not the case of real estate because like I talked earlier, you have to look at the growth side of the equation. How is the portfolio changing? What are they adding to? What are they approving? What leases are rolling over? Where are market rents today versus what they're charging at the current moment? So it really helps um, provide a better alternative to fixed income. So we're seeing capital come out of fixed income and put into real estate. At the same time, because real estate is less marked to market, obviously it's not marked to market if it's private real estate, and even if it's public real estate, because it has that stable recurring income stream, right? unlike a technology company or an oil and gas company or some of the other sectors where every single year you have to reinvent your sales, um, um, because real estate has long-term leases, multi-year leases, there's this baseline that you know that you can count on. Um, and so because of that, it provides less volatility to the equity markets. So it kind of helps sort of bridge or be the anchor for both equities and fixed income. Uh, alternatively, the weight has been relatively small because it was a smaller industry and hard to access. Now that there's more and more ways to access and there's you know more creative solutions like a four quadrant fund, obviously, that does offer some liquidity, but still access to privates. What you're seeing is advisors are getting more and more comfortable increasing it as a portfolio, the portfolio where it would have been three to five, now it's 10 to 15. Okay, thanks, Corrado. Just finally, you know, your, your, your overall message to advisors right now, you know, what, what would you say to an advisor who is maybe uh, deliberating, you know, and investigating some of the topics we've, we've talked about? Yeah, look, I think my response would be obviously, um, you know, completely unbiased. Um, you know, I, I'm really excited about the opportunity that real estate brings to the table over the next five to 10 years. Uh, when I look at the overall risk adjuster returns and the potential pitfalls from equities versus fixed income, when I look at the valuations on the general equity market, especially some of the tech sectors, uh, when I look at the potential for rates to be in a rising environment for longer and the impact that might have on bonds, um, it kind of feels like real estate is, um, you know, a, a happy a happy middle for um, being able to achieve good long-term stable income stream but still have the ability to um, maintain purchasing power in the future. I think valuations are relative to equities at attractive levels today. Um, and I think the growth profile, the income stream, makes them a much better uh, alternative to fixed bonds, even on an interest rate sensitivity perspective. If you look at what's happening this year, right, you talked about rising rates. Well, why have rising rates hurt the tech sector? Traditionally, the tech sector is where you want to be your growth 
is where you want to be in a rising rate environment. Why? Because you can offset inflation. You can offset the higher cost of capital by having growth. The problem is because growth has outperformed value for so long, the valuation metrics, the multiples are so high on some of these growth vehicles. And so that impact from the rising cost of capital is very large and offsetting that growth. At the same time, if you buy value today, if that value doesn't have any growth, then you're going to get really hurt by inflation um, because you can't keep pace with the pace of inflation. And so you get hurt on both sides. So growth and value. And so what you're looking for is sort of, you know, what I'd call the unicorn. You're looking for investment opportunities that offer, you know, decent growth, perhaps not fast growth, but, you know, moderate growth, but where you're not overpaying for that growth profile. And when I look at real estate and I look at REITs, where private, you know, or look at REITs today, the valuations and the growth profile, it kind of feels like that unicorn. So um, I'm, I'm getting quite, quite positive. And there's going to be noise, you know, whether it be, you know, the 10 rate hikes that are now getting priced in, whether it be, you know, you know, a hawkish stance from the Fed, recession talk, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the, um, the war in the Ukraine and Russia creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, when I look at all of that and I look at the underlying, the underpinning cash flow that comes from real estate, uh, it makes me feel pretty good that I'll wake up in five years and, and be happy with this investment. Thanks for joining us for this episode of WP Talk. That was a really enjoyable chat about the real estate space. For more WP Talk episodes, go to wealthprofessional.ca, click on the resources tab and select WP Talk. The site also includes all the latest news and views from the industry. And if you haven't already, please feel free to sign up to our daily newsletter. I'm James Burton. Until next time.